Welcome to the 20-something Trials Podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Denicio, and this is the show dedicated to navigating your 20s. Each week, you'll hear from a guest who has walked through an array of trials, triumphs, and more. My goal is to bring you tangible tips to help you grow into the woman you are destined to become. I started this podcast to connect with others, have real conversation about womanhood and career and life, and learn from the incredible groundbreaking people who I admire, and I know you will too. There is so much truth to be learned from our trials and in those of others. So together, let's explore all of the things that make us who we are and grow into the women we are meant to be together. Happy Wednesday, you guys. Welcome back to another episode of 20-something Trials. I am so excited to be joined with this week's guest, Maya Fleming. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. Me too. And I think everything that we're going to dive into today is just so applicable and so tangible, especially in the times in the year that we are living in right now. But before we dive into all the good stuff, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. So without any titles, will you give us a rundown as to who you are? Yeah, so I'm Maya Fleming, as you mentioned. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm so average. I want people to understand that, like, above <laughs> anything. Like, I am, like, such an average person. I recently graduated from college in 2019, and that set me on this whole, like, wild post-grad journey. And I really had to get super intentional about the way I took care of myself, like, mentally and emotionally, which led to physically. So I started a podcast um, called Gentler, so I run that. But, you know, my everyday life is so normal, working from home now, and then just, you know, trying to make the most out of the life that I have. So that's that's what I do. I'm just I'm just regular, but I'm, I'm empowered by that, I think. I love that you said that you're a regular girl, but you've got all of these great things happening for you that, of course, set you apart. But I think it's also important to always come back to that, right? You are just like all of our listeners, like me, like everybody else, right? Of just you're trying to do your best with the cards you've been dealt in the times Mm -hmm. that we're in. So yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for saying it. And so we graduated um, the same time. I was May 2019. You were May too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where did you go to school? I went to Georgetown in okay. D.C. Mm-hmm. And now if I remember correctly, Georgetown was not always, if anything, was not the school you had ever thought you would be at. No. I love this story. Will you tell it for those who may not have heard <laughs> yeah. it yet? Absolutely. So I um, I did really well in, in school. I'll, I'll be honest about that. It was kind of the expectation that my mom set for me, and I, I kind of drove myself a little crazy making sure I could do well in school. Um, and... I ended up going to a boarding school for the last two years of high school. That was for the quote unquote academically um, rigorous or whatever. So I did that and I left my tiny high school that my mom and my dad had met at and dated in and my grandparents had gone to school at and like that whole Friday night light scene. I was a cheerleader and all of that. And I was happy to leave, to be honest, because I wanted to be challenged. And I just, you know, you get tired of small town life, I think. I, I, at least I, I did. And I just really wanted to, an escape. Um, but I went to this boarding school and it was great. But I found that I really, really missed that like small town 
Friday night football games feel. I had tried to go to football games on the weekends, even at my new school, and it just wasn't happening. Um, so for college, I was like, I definitely want to go to a state school. I want to like put the face paint on and do the whole thing and be in the stands every Friday night for football and basketball in the winter. Like I wanted that so badly. Um, so I applied to a bunch of state schools and my mom was like, why aren't you applying to like bigger and more Ivy League schools? And I'm like, I don't, I don't really want that. I, I want like this type of vibe. And someone that she knew, a former student, um, applied to Georgetown and got in and got a full ride. So my mom was just obsessed with this idea of me being at Georgetown. And I just kept saying like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to. I, I am not interested whatsoever um but you know you know how moms can like guilt you into things so I applied um <laughs> I applied and I remember calling because they had um the SAT as like a recommended application piece and in the south the SAT just isn't like the big test everyone takes it's usually the ACT and I had done that but I called and I'm like hey like is the SAT required because you know I'm not trying to pay all that money to go take a test that's not even offered at my school. Um, and the lady, the admissions counselor was like, it's not required, but you know, it's strongly recommended. And I was like, I well, if, it's not, if it's not required, I'm not doing it. Like, yeah. you know, like you can either tell me it's required or not. Like, um, so I was actively trying not to get into Georgetown. Like I, looking back, I know that's definitely what I was doing. I was like, there's no way like I'll get in if I, if I don't take this test. And I think the whole issue totally was just I didn't think I would get in even on my own merit um but anyway I apply and do all that I end up getting in in December and it was really surprising um I, I remember being shocked and being like wow I got into Georgetown like that's wild like I wish I had kind of applied to other schools like it just to see if I could have done it um and months went by Georgetown's super expensive I think now um it's around 70,000 a year. Like it's just, it's, it's wildly expensive. Um, so I just, I had made peace in my mind. I wasn't going to do that. And I had made excuses and all that with all of my friends. And I would say things like, Oh, you know, I'm not going to Georgetown because it's not like the kind of school I want to go to for undergrad. You know, like I, that's a grad school type of school. I, I just made all these different concessions in my mind to like yeah. feel okay with it. Um, and I ended up getting invited to go to campus for free. Like they were going to fly me out and, give me like housing for the weekend for like a special weekend they have for underrepresented groups. Um, and I was like, you know, I'll go to DC for the weekend. Like it'll be a fun free trip to DC. They, they have programming scheduled for us. Like I'll be able to go and do things. I had been to DC before and really liked it. So I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to go back. Um, and it's so cliche, but the moment I walked through the gates, like with my suitcase in tow and just like mm -hmm. struggling over the cobblestone, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, like I need to be here. Like I, like I just, I felt such a shift. Um, and then that weekend just became like, I was obsessive about making it possible. Cause like I said, Georgetown's wildly expensive. Yeah. Um, I, I just, it's kind of wild how you will discount so many things. I, because I just assumed it wasn't possible. I didn't look into finding ways to make it possible. So I went to the financial aid office, like with the notebook, the guy laughed at me because I had all my questions written down. And I was like, that kind of person. And he yeah. was like, did you write them down? I'm like, I don't want to miss anything. Like I have to go back to Arkansas for this. And then I can't come back up here and ask questions, you know? So, um, he really just, 
ensured me that it was all going to be possible and fine. And it was like, I ended up getting like everything taken care of with need-based scholarships and all of that. And I'm so happy that I made that decision just to like, at least go to the campus. And I always am amazed at what like one little step will do and like lead you to the next, because I mean, that was the whole next four years of my life off of one weekend. There are a few things from this that I want to unpack because there's a lot of power in basically everything that you just said. The first part of that is what I pick up a lot of is this feeling of self-doubt where, you know, mom Mm -hmm. is really pushing it and you're pushing back. You know, you kind of touched on it, but was it mainly because you were like, I can't get into the school? Yeah, I think so. I think it was. And at the, like, it's kind of hard for me to imagine that now because yeah. I did really well in school. Um, but I think I always felt like I did really well because I was supposed to. I don't okay. think I think, and I, I would tell people all the time, and I, I would hear my mom tell people this. And it's funny because I introduced myself this way on the episode, but she would always just tell people like, my kids are average. Like they're not like they're not special in any kind of way. Like if my kids can do all of the, like, you know, she, she meant it. <laughs> my kids are the worst realized, like, and they're doing it. So you're I a that sounds awful, right? But she was like, you know, like I, I work hard to make sure that they stay on top of things, but like developmentally, like they're not like different than any other kids and they've had a lot of hardship and all of that and they are still doing it you know, they grew up low income, they, they still are doing these things. So I think in my mind, I kind of worked out that nothing in me was yeah. special. And I understand that was never her, like, desire, like, that was never her intention to, to do that. But I think it kind of worked backwards to make me feel like there's nothing like, intrinsically, like, valuable about my own merit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, I just, I work hard, I do what I'm supposed to, and that's it. So you know, and I don't know, like now looking back, you know, I always did well. Like I said, I always worked hard, but I think I had this idea that I only do it because I'm supposed to and not because it's Mm -hmm. in me. Um, So I didn't know if I could handle getting into Georgetown and then, you know, staying at Georgetown, like it just, and then the money issue, like that just was a huge mountain that I did not even want to approach at all. So yeah, I, there was a ton of self-doubt and I think I just really didn't think that Maya could handle it. Like I thought I always needed someone like pushing me all the time. And I knew my mom wasn't going to be able to do that, like, across the country at Georgetown um, in college. So I, I, yeah. So when you get to Georgetown, and you really start on this new chapter of your life, how do you rewire all of those thoughts of like, I'm average, I work hard, because I'm supposed to like, how did you discover that intrinsic value that you always had that you just maybe Mm -hmm. hadn't discovered yet? Yeah, so my first year at Georgetown was terrible. It was really bad. Um, And it was surprising because I had gone to boarding school. I thought like college would be a breeze. I've been used to being away from home. And to this day, I really don't even know what it was that um, made it so difficult for me. I know I wasn't like I started out studying business and I am really interested in business. But I think the you know, all the the accounting classes, all that, like, I wasn't really, like, vibing with them, and so it was just, like, I can't, like, I can't do this, and I just couldn't be bothered to try hard, and I remember being so shocked when it became, like, November, and I was, like, oh, crap, like, all these C's, like, there's no way, it's not possible for me to bring this up, Mm -hmm. and I ended up being on academic probation after my first semester, Um, after I completed my second semester, I kind of made the decision that I was going to be transferring out of the business school, but I still had to take the classes I signed up for. And, you know, I was okay with my performance, but there was that one accounting class. I was like, I don't know. Like, and I, like for two weeks after coming home from the first year, I waited for the new grades and I was like, you know, 
I have no idea how this went. Um, I know I passed the last test, but I didn't pass one of my other tests. So, you know, maybe I didn't pass the class. And if I don't, I'm going to have to figure out how to tell my family I can't go back to Georgetown because mm. I was already on academic probation. So it was just like a terrible, <laughs> a terrible time. And it's so silly, but I ended up um, getting into Gilmore Girls over that summer. Just Love like Gilmore bored. Girls. It, it was the first year it was on Netflix. And I just was kind of like, oh, I'll watch it. And I, that's my favorite show. Like, it just really, like, seeing Rory Gilmore, and I don't even really like her as a character, but, like, seeing her, like, be so into school and just work so hard, like, you know, I was like, I can do this. Like, I I am good at school. I am good at learning. I can study. Like, I, I want to do this because I have this opportunity to go to the, like, seeing her go to Chilton, like, it just reminded me so much of me going to Georgetown and thinking, how the heck are we going to pay for this? And then an opportunity comes out of nowhere, and I just identify it so strongly. And I think it was just the push that I needed. So I just really tried to, one, focus on media representations of the type of person I wanted to be. And then two, just, you know, reminding myself, I get this next opportunity, if I'm able to go back to Georgetown, like, I'm not going to waste it. And sophomore year was my best year. I was on the dean's list both semesters. Like, it was just, it just woke something up in me, like that, that, that little spirit that I had lost um, after freshman year. Yeah. So I, I'm not familiar with Georgetown's campus. When mm-hmm. I was applying for schools, um, Wake Forest University is a, one of the private schools in North Carolina. And I remember junior year, it was like the first school that I toured. And my mom and I were like blown away by the campus. And, you know, then they get to the part about finances. And my mom looks at me and she was like, Gab, why are we here? Like, I can't send you to the school. And I guess, you know, when you're in high school, it's like, you just, you think you're going to make it happen. Like I was not naive to the fact that my family would not be able to pay for, I don't even know if, I think it's like 60,000 a year, you know, nor could I ever ask to put, one, I could never ask to put them in that situation because we could never do that. But, you know, it was like, I felt inferior in that moment of not because like I had the grades to get in. I had, you know, I knew that that part wouldn't have been an issue, but I remember like us leaving um, to go on the tour and like people are driving off in Mercedes and Ferraris. And I remember feeling like, whoa, this is not my kind of place. Like this is very, very intimidating. And so when I don't know, it seems like the schools might be comparable and I wonder now to this day, like, would I have been able to keep up? Would I have been happy Mm. somewhere like there? So how do you deal with the pressures like that when it seems like, you know, everybody around you might have come from a background like that? Yeah, I think for me, um, one thing that helped me a lot was not realizing that a lot of my friends had more money than I did growing up. And Mm -hmm. I think when you're in college, everyone has that kind of like broke college student mentality. Right. kids will say all the time, like, oh, I'm so broke, or, you know, I'm out of money, like, just things, and you don't realize that, you know, they're saying that with you, but they could really call home and get a bunch of money just Mm -hmm. at a phone call and all that. For me, it it wasn't, they're like, my family was calling me for money, so it wasn't possible, you know, like, and I think it really helped just not knowing that, Mm -hmm. and then um, once I did kind of find out, you know, I think enough time had passed where I was more comfortable with myself and my own Um, abilities but I would definitely see girls in class with you know all their name brand stuff and all of that and just kind of be thinking like how how does one acquire this this type of lifestyle and you know where where does this come from but I I think once I found my people I focused less on it 
mm-hmm. um, and, and it really helped. And, and, you know, I did have a lot of friends who grew up similarly to the way I did. So that helped as well in being able to talk through things and everything like that. But um, it, it was definitely difficult, like being aware of the fact that so many people had so much money and just, you know, like it, like John Kerry lives just right off like the next block of campus. So like just the area of Georgetown is just money. And so it, it was definitely hard to deal with at first, but I think the longer I worked on myself and worked on proving my worth in other ways, um, mm-hmm. it made it a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, right. You're 18 at this point, you're impressionable. So I commend you for that because I often don't think that I would have been able, you know, if I had ended up at a school like Wake, I don't know if I would have been able to keep up or feel that pressure. And so I think it's really admirable that you found your people. You didn't let what you were surrounded by just like totally overcome you. Um, So I'd be interested to hear if that's a narrative that you hear a lot of from Georgetown students, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because it's it's one of those things that you really face when you go to college is there becomes a bit of a difference in, you know, backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses. Like I, you know, because in high school, and it sounds like the town that you were from too, and even the boarding school, right? Like you're with these same group of people and then you become such a small fish, right? That the world opens up and you're like, oh, not everybody grew up like I did. These people come from this. These people don't have this. So to me, mm-hmm. college was a big eye-opening moment of getting outside of my own world. Yeah, definitely. And I would hear stories from other students about like one of my friends or someone like looked over um, at the next desk in class one day and saw that the girl on there was like had her bank of america account open and she had like forty thousand dollars in her checking account like i would i would hear things like that all the time but i'm thankful i was never like just confronted with that kind of disparity all the time but yeah you're right i don't know how i would have like kept up and i have a tendency to just be really obsessive about money and i think that's where like financial self-care like really plays a part for me because if i had known like yeah like I, I was the type to blow off class to go take on an extra shift at work. Yeah. So I don't know how I would have handled that either. So I, I want to keep on with that idea of financial self-care because this is something that I'm going to be honest, I had never heard until you know I had read it on your website. So break down first what financial self-care is for us. Yeah. So for me, financial self-care is any act you do that gets you closer to your ideal money state. So however, you know, when you think about where you would like to be in life, you think about your ideal life and all of that. How does money play a part in that? You know, what are you spending money on? Um, How much does it cost to live that life that you want? And then how can you get closer to that in a way that still feels good for you? Mm -hmm. Because I think like for me, for example, like I said, I was so obsessed with this idea of having money and being rich and all of that. And, you know, a lot of it came from the fact that I didn't have money growing up and my family went through several hard situations where money just kind of played the, what I thought money played the the key role in it. Um, And I had to really sit down and understand like, what do you actually want out of life? Do you want that CEO position and doing all that? And I didn't at all. Like my dream job is to be a librarian and just live in a small town, have great, like, Shakespeare exhibits in the library, just get kids interested in books that they don't like and just things like that. Like I realized that what I act like what would actually make me happy was so much less than what I thought I was supposed to have because society tells you, you know, like you're getting this degree, you should be making this amount, you should be doing this and that. And money definitely makes life easier. So I think that's that's the big part of financial self-care is understanding that 
you know, you can, you can have all these nice things, but money's going to play a huge part in that. But you might be surprised and find out it's not going to take as much money as what you think. And that was like the most calming thing for me is understanding just how, not how little necessarily, but just how, how much I could relax on just focusing on what felt best for me and not focusing on acquiring the most, like the biggest amount of money possible. Um, so, you know, just, I think the first step for me for financial self-care is kind of shifting into this mode of being in control of my money. Um, I really thought money was something that happened to me. You know, you get money randomly, you lose it, like there's never enough, all of that. So kind of shifting into a place of I'm in control of your, my money made me act in a lot of different ways. I had to get critical about where I held my money and which bank accounts and what I did with my money. Like budgeting had to become a thing and looking at, you know, where my money was going and all of that and just deciding that, not, like being the gatekeeper of my finances and deciding that nothing is coming in or leaving out without my approval because yeah. I am building for something and I don't want to anything else sabotage that, especially not myself. You know, I think you echo a lot of the the realities that we as postgrads face, especially that first year out of college of, you know, like you had said earlier, when you're in college, it's, you're kind of in like this bubble, right? Where everybody has that mentality of like, I'm broke, I'm living on like the college budget. We've all said it, we've all done it. Um, so when you get into the quote unquote real world and you're salaried or you're out, whatever your financial situation is, to me, it was the first time that I was confronted with budgeting because up until then it was like, there wasn't a whole lot to budget to begin with. So I was right, very exactly. frugal, you know? Mm -hmm. So now, especially as I step into this new chapter of, you know, living in an apartment, working at a new school, like all these new things where I am now not forced, if anything, it's a good thing, but now I really have to be cognizant and be aware of my financial situation, that it's not a skill that many of us, I don't, and this might be a generalization so that's incorrect, but that I didn't think many of us came out of college with. It was kind of this newfound thing of shit, I have to budget. I've got, like you said, I've got to become the gatekeeper and I really can't screw this up this month. So how did you start on this process of becoming financially literate when you hit this post-grad phase? Yeah. So the first thing I did was just sit down um, and figure out what I've been spending money on because I had, you know, Hard. I was, ugh, I don't even know like how long after graduating, but I was still broke. And I'm like, I have a salary position and benefits. Like, why the heck am I broke? Like, this is not, and I realized that, yeah, my income increased dramatically, but so did my expenses. Mm. And I was also just, you know, like just buying things that were unnecessary. And I've always been so bad about food delivery. Like I put out an email to my audience the other day about how I overspent last week on like delivery. So it was always yeah. like an issue for me. Like, and I just, I had never really looked at what I was spending. And I think the thing that really excited me, even with that, was looking at how much money I made and how much money I had spent and being like, you know, yes, I messed up. I shouldn't have spent this money on these things. But I was excited because I see like now, like I can, I have all this money next month, like this amount of money that I feel bad about, like next month, it'll be mine. It'll be in my hands. It'll be going towards things I want to go to. So I had to sit down, get the number of how much money I actually spent, figure out how much money I was actually making, you know, from my nine to five and then also like side hustles and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then just decide where I wanted my money to go. Like you have to sit down and, and decide what's important to you. Like, you know, I really love living by myself in this apartment. So 
I pay way more than my friends do for their living situations. And I'm okay with that because I know I really, really love my home space. I'm not going to be the one to go out every weekend and, you know, eat out for every outing. And that's fine because my money is going where I feel like my values are aligned. Um, so, you know, deciding, you know, at least like your top three, like, what do you really want to do? Like, how do you like to treat yourself? What's a hobby that you like? And how does money play into that? For a lot of hobbies, it doesn't really take money. But for some of them, you know, maybe it will. I like to crochet. So setting aside a little bit of money so I can go to Michael's or wherever and get yarn and hooks and all of that, you know, just really getting critical and practical about how money is going to play a role in your life and understanding how like where you fall in like right now. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, the, definitely the first step is looking at where you're actually spending your money. Yeah. Which I think is sometimes the hardest thing to confront. Um, yeah. because it is, you don't really realize it, especially if things are automated, if you have like subscriptions or, you know, little five to $15 things here and there that just get withdrawn, you know, automatically. I think that's where you're like, Oh, that's where the money is going because it seems very small. And then you realize that, okay, wait, it does add up hold on. I might need to yeah. self-correct this. Um, mm-hmm. so it is, it's a very intentional thing that I don't think many of us want to do, but a good thing that both you and I have seen results from, and it doesn't take much, right? It takes a few minutes no. to really sit down and, and do it. And I think that's the hardest thing is like coming to your bank account with pen and paper in hand and like really doing that audit. Yeah. And there are so many apps as well you can do um, that will break down your spending. But I think at least starting out, like really sitting down, like you said, pen to paper and, and going through each line and being like, am I happy with this purchase? Am I happy with the way I spent this money? And for me, there was a lot of no's at first, but you know, you grow and you move forward from that. So I want to talk about your gentler guide to financial self-care. Tell me and tell the listeners about this guide that you have put together. Yeah. So I put together a financial self-care ebook. Um, and it's not too heavy. I don't want people to feel overwhelmed, but I focus a lot on just the self-care portion of financial wellness. Cause I think, you know, and for me, I, I knew so much about financial literacy and just all of those things. But until I worked on the mindset piece, the actual like understanding that I could be in control of my money, nothing was clicking, nothing was happening for me, all of that. And I think you can learn all the facts and all the facts are available, but until you're willing to dive into your own head on it, you're not going to see the results that you want. You might have a couple of good months and might feel fine and do all that, but ultimately it's not going to happen. Um, I, I had one period where I was doing really well budgeting. I was logging every single expense. Mm. I was always the one to be like, oh, can I get a receipt please? And like all of that. And the moment I had a phone bill that was way more expensive than I was expecting. Um, and it just blew my like meager yeah. like savings at the time. And I just immediately shifted back into that thought pa- pattern of there's not enough money. And so I started like acting to play out that thought and then started spending my money recklessly in other areas until like I proved, proved to myself, yeah, you're right. There's not enough money because yeah. you didn't think there was, so you didn't do the things that needed to be done. Um, you know, if I had thought in my head, I'm in control of my money, that expensive phone bill, I would have handled that in a way different like manner. Um, so the ebook kind of talks a lot more about those things, like what you want your money to do and, you know, how can you get around all these mindset holes that we've grown up with and all these ideas that we've had about money, understanding that money is not good or bad. Like money itself does not have good or bad value. It's a tool that we use to to do other things. Um, 
and just kind of also including those financial literacy pieces because there are like a lot of there's a lot of practical information that's necessary but you know you have to be able to balance the two the mindset and the practical because alone neither one is really going to get you to where you want to be so the ebook puts all of that information together um and i recently redesigned it i'm in love with the way it looks i'm um, just really excited uh, and I was reading through it when I redesigned it. And I was like, this is good information. I've been yeah. going through it myself because, you know, with the quarantine and with the pandemic, our financial realities have shifted so much. And I'm someone who still has my job and has still been getting paid with pretty uninterrupted, you know, income. And it's still like just this new reality of being home every day. I, my money is like reacting so much differently than it did before. So it was really key for me to sit back down with the ebook and figure out, okay, like, if this is my new reality, how do I want my money to work for me in this space? And you know what? The thing that I like the most about this product is that it came from your past experience, a need that you saw um, both within your life. And then I'm sure you thought, you know what, if I'm experiencing this, who's to say that other people my age or other people in their 30s, 40s or whatever, you know, are feeling the need to to tap into their financial wellness a little bit more. And so that I think is where the greatest, greatest ideas just come from is when yeah. it's something that's truly helped you and it's something that you can promote because it, it, it benefited you and mm -hmm. you know, it will have that same effect on others. Yeah, for sure. I, I've been shocked at how many people, um, you know, when I'm looking at the names and all of that, mm -hmm. people who've ordered it, I'm like, wow, like, this has been helpful for all of you. And then especially yeah. to someone that I recognize um, the name for, I'm like, oh, wow, I never would have thought. Because mm -hmm. this is something that we all deal with. And I want, like, the ebook is not just for people struggling financially. It's for people, because so many people do really well financially and still have that mindset block of there's not enough money or I don't know how to use money. So it's not about, like, income level or anything like mm -hmm. that. Like, financial self-care is necessary for everybody. And I think me seeing the people who have used it and hearing back from people who have bought it, like just cements that in my mind even more. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So I want to go ahead and take a step back. We touched on financial self-care, financial wellness. I want to back up though to just this idea of self-care because you have a very different take than let's say what the mainstream um, ideology of it is. So to you, what is self-care? Yeah, so self-care is anything that gets me closer to my ideal self. So when I sit down and think about like, what do I want my life to look like? Self-care is like those actions that get me closer to that. And it looks way different from me to you and also from me last week to me currently. Like you have to really sit down and be willing to dive in completely with where you are and where you want to be in life and, and why there's a gap in between that. So self-care is really just closing that gap. And sometimes for me, you know, it's, journaling or it's sitting down watching Netflix. It's getting my clothes out the night before, budgeting. Financial wellness is a huge part of that for me just because that's a huge block from my ideal life. Like financial stuff will always be kind of that that divider. Um, so that's how self-care plays out. It's not always pretty, doesn't always feel good. You know, it sometimes is really annoying, but in the end, it pays off. And I, I group self-care in like three different groups that kind of go according to the, when the payoff factor comes in. So preparatory self-care is stuff that you don't really get instant gratification from, but it helps in the long run. Like I said, getting your clothes out, budgeting, finally scheduling that doctor's appointment you've been mm -hmm. avoiding, um, opening up that email that you've been ignoring, all that stuff. 
um, transitory self-care would be the things that we think about when we think self-care, the mainstream things, face masks, bubble baths, all that. They give you like an instant boost, but they don't really solve things in the long run. But sometimes you do need that instant boost so that you can have the energy to go handle that long-term task. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one is foundational self-care. That's kind of the stuff that gets you primed and ready for self-care. So like I said, sometimes self-care things can be different for me from week to week, like Netflix, for example. Netflix, sometimes, you know, I'm burned out and I just really need a break and that's great. But sometimes Netflix is for procrastination for me and I'm trying to get away from another task. So mm -hmm. with foundational self-care, and that would be like journaling, meditation, therapy, things like that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I've learned more about myself and my patterns to be able to recognize in that moment what's actually happening and what I actually needed from self-care. So those are the ways I think about it, but really just any action you do, it doesn't have to be glamorous. It, I mean, honestly, it could be putting your shoes away after a long day so you don't have to look at it and be annoyed later on. Like any, any of that would be self-care. Yeah. Yeah. So now for you, what are those um, signs? What are those triggers when you're like, okay, I need to take a step back and I need to take care of myself? Yeah. Um, when I start getting really disengaged, I know that I need to take a break. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like really apathetic about things. Like I, I just am not, I, I know I'm not in it. I need to yes. st step back and figure out what's going on. Um, when I try to avoid and procrastinate things, I'm really bad about that. Like I am just really, I'll, I'll like just barrel through my whole to-do list. And then when I get to that one task, I'm like, oh, well, I'm kind of hungry and oh, maybe I should use the bathroom and start to get up later. And I should find something really good to watch on YouTube while I do this task. And then three or four hours have gone by and it's still not done. So I know those things in me. And so when it happens, you know, instead of like kind of chastising myself over it, I'm like, what's really going on here? What about this task is making you dread it so much? Is there any way you can make it easier? Could you outsource it? Could, with the ebook, for example, I knew I wanted to redesign it from pretty much the time I released it originally. And I just could not get around to doing that. Like it was so daunting. I just was like, I can't, I can't do it. And since I wasn't fully happy with it, I didn't promote it in the way that I should. And it just was affecting every other area. And I realized, okay, you are a good designer. You can do this, but for some reason it's not happening. So can you just let that part go, find a nice template that you feel aligned to, get it done, happen in a weekend. It was just like something that had been taking me months to do. Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't always have to be money things. I mean, yeah, it doesn't have to be like a, like a, a way that you, you know, pay to get things outsourced, but you know, things that you can do just make it simpler. I talk a lot about having money dates and for some people that scares them having to sit down with their finances. So can you put on your comfy pajamas and like get a drink you really like and do it with a friend? Like, how can you just make it easier? Um, so for me, that's what I really have to focus on. Just making things, I'm a kid. So I have to make things like a little bit, a little bit better. Yeah. I think everybody is like that because when there's this daunting task in front of you, I think we're all very quick to be like, okay, what like little thing can I do to make this a little mm -hmm. bit more enjoyable? And you're right. I have been in the same situation where it's like, you know, I know I have this thing at hand four hours go by and I've accomplished nothing. And so it, I think what the big message here is having that self-awareness and knowing when it's time to say, okay, Gabby. Okay, Maya. How, what do we need to do to fix this? Because this is not mm -hmm. working. Um, so now, of course, there are other ways too. Like to me, this is, you know, um, in a situation like this, this is when we're, we're kind of not laying the groundwork, but maybe um, preventing that burnout or doing those things to, to get you to the better place. But 
what are some non-negotiable daily habits that you have related to self-care that you practice every day? Yeah. So every day I journal um, and I just sit down at the very least, I will write down what, how I want the day to go, okay. like three things I want to happen. And, and I make sure that there are three things I can actually control. Um, you know, like I used to be like, oh, today would be great if I received that response I've been waiting for. Okay. But I can't make them send right. it. Like and if I base my whole outlook of the day on that, that I have no control over, I'm going to be disappointed because mm-hmm. it didn't happen. It doesn't mean I did anything wrong and I can't control it. So three things that I can actually control that would make today great. I do try to go into more detail if I have time or energy, but if I don't do anything else, I'll do that. Um, lately, drinking water has also been a huge thing for me. I know we um, both have our gigantic water yeah. bottles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I fell off the past couple of days and I noticed it. And I remember like whenever I was, so last week I started drinking a gallon a day. And while I'm doing it, I'm like, I don't like, nothing's happening. This is so yeah. pointless. Um, and the first day I didn't, the next day getting out of bed was so difficult. And I was just so tired the entire day my boss was like how are you and I'm like I just really want to take a nap and I love napping and that's fine but Mm -hmm. it was like after the first nap I still felt so tired so I'm realizing that water is a big thing that I need to do um and then let me think um I also try to get time outside or at least Mm -hmm. with the windows open like I just like the feeling um I, I love when summer comes around it's really hot but I like feeling it now that I have a puppy it's a lot easier to have a reason to get outside yeah um because at first I think I would have been too wrapped up into I look weird walking by myself, like just around and outside and you yeah. know, I should get over that. But it is a lot easier now that I have a dog and people are like, oh, she's walking your puppy. And it's just a lot nicer. So at least taking time to walk around, that's really easy not to do with this work situation that most of us are in right now. Like yeah. just being at home all the time, but having, having some type of walk, um, journaling and drinking water, like my big three non-negotiables. Okay. So I want to get a little bit more specific with the journaling. So Mm -hmm. are you, and I don't mean to sound dumb by saying this, but are you actually writing? Are you typing? Are you on an iPad? Like what are the specific things that you do here? Yeah. So I write, I I prefer to write in a journal. Um, I have tried iPad journaling. Um, I think it was a big mindset shift because I was like, you know, what if someone finds my iPad and like, opens it up and sees all my journaling. And, and obviously the iPad is a lot more secure than the journal, but right. I just, I, like, I don't know why that was such a huge thing for me, but I, I, I love, I love the feeling of pen on paper. It also is like really good for mindfulness practice. I think just being able to physically feel the pen and like hear the strokes and, and see them. Like, I, I just really have always loved that. And I love, you know, going and getting a new journal and being like, okay, I'm going to fill this with so many, yeah. so many things. Um, so I prefer to like journal writing down, but sometimes when I really, really, really do not have the energy to journal, I'll just record a voice memo on my phone. Mm. Um, and I've noticed that has been helpful because sometimes I just have so much on my mind and I can't write as fast as I think. So whenever I can record myself just saying what's on my mind, it's a lot easier. Um, but yeah, most of the time I'm writing on paper and whenever I do journal, I do the three, the three things that make the day great. Like I said, um, I'll write down three things I'm grateful for mm-hmm. and I'll also try to script out the day. So I'll write the day, I'll do future journaling and I'll write it out, but in past tense of how I would like the day to go. Again, I try to focus on things that I can actually control, but 
in that arena, sometimes I will add things that would just be really nice to to happen that I can't necessarily control because mm-hmm. that's more so with with the writing out three things that make today great. My goal is to keep myself in the direction that I need to be in. Mm-hmm. With scripting, my goal is to kind of get myself into a positive frame of thinking of like, ooh, like I'm so excited for all this stuff. Like I just read this whole day and I'm so excited for it to actually happen. So it's more of a mindset, like high vibe thing. So yeah. if I include some things that might not really happen, that's okay. I'm not so tied to those things as, as much as I'm tied to the energy behind those things. So it's a lot easier in that way. But, you know, if I don't get around doing all those things, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Stream of consciousness is also a good way to start if you just have things on your mind and just want to write them down. Typically, that's when I pull out my voice memo because I just can't write as fast. But yeah, I just try to that that's journaling is like my my top self care thing right now, because it's just the the thing that kind of solves a lot of issues for me. When I imagine, like you said, you want to be a librarian. So this also might be because I'm a teacher of like, I've always connected with words a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. The written word to me is just so much more beautiful sometimes than the spoken word. And it's always been the the better form of communication for me. So I was, I mean, obviously you guys can't see this, but as she was talking, I was just like nodding and smiling. <laughs> I am like right on board with you. Um, and you know, I like that you also said, if I don't get to all of them, it's okay. You know, I think we see so often on social media or on YouTube, like these cute little morning routines, which we love. We love a morning routine. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is sometimes you wake up late. Sometimes you wake up in a shit mood and you don't want to do anything, you know? And so you've got to honor that. Cause I think in a way too, you know, that's also self-care of recognizing where you're at and what's going to work for you and what's not. And so, you know, I don't think there needs to be any pressure associated with self-care and to also add to your point of sometimes self-care is not pretty. Like I've shared on the podcast, sometimes self-care is going to therapy. Maybe it's a really intense session, but for me, I've always known that those are a really hard but good form of, you know, healing mechanisms for me. And so I like that you also kind of debunk this idea that self-care is glamorous and cute and beautiful when sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's not. And we've got to be not okay at all. with that. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, I have journal entries where I've just written, I'm tired and that's it. Yeah. Like I, I'm not doing it. I, I can't mm-hmm. like, so yeah, it's definitely not. And I think the biggest thing is understanding that no matter how hard it gets, you're fighting for yourself and you're so worth it. You're so worth all the difficulty. You're worth all the runarounds and all of that because this isn't like, you're not doing this for anyone else but you. Yeah, absolutely. Maya, it has been such a gift to hear you and have you on this podcast. Before I let you go though, we do have a segment on the podcast called Truth in Trial. So my question to you is what has been the greatest trial either in your life or in your career so far? And then what has it taught you? Yeah, so my greatest trial would be just every financial issue I've ever had, Um, particularly going to Australia in 2018 and just having a weird health issue that left me broke and just without any way of paying for anything. And I think it just, it really taught me the power of my mindset and taking care of myself. It It planted the first seeds for gentler, understanding that even when there's so many other issues surrounding you, you have to take care of yourself or else you just, you won't even have the energy to fight those other battles. Um, and so that really taught me the importance of myself and, and set me on this journey of intentional self-care. 
Yeah. And you guys, like she mentioned, she does have a podcast called Gentler. And I think if you took anything away from this episode, which I know you guys as listeners, so I know you absolutely did, um, listen to her podcast. Maya, where can people listen? Yeah. So it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any other platform. It's just called Gentler. Um, The Instagram account is at Gentler Pod. So I always post new episodes there as well. And then the website is www.begentler.com. Beautiful. Maya, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Like I said, such a gift, such (laughs) a gift to hear you and talk to you and learn from you. And, you know, it's always comforting to talk to to people going through the post-grad trials as well. So I appreciate your time and you guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Go listen to her podcast, hang out with her on social media and yeah, that's it. I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.